Chapter eighteen, part two of a short account of the history of mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a reading by Paul King, pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A short account of the history of mathematics by W. W. Rouse Ball. Chapter 18. Leibniz and the Mathematicians of the First Half of the Eighteenth Century. Part 2. Lambert. Johann Heinrich Lambert was born at Mulhausen on August 28, 1728, and died at Berlin on September 25, 1777. He was the son of a small tailor, and had to rely on his own efforts for his education. From a clerk in some ironworks, he got a place in a newspaper office, and subsequently, on the recommendation of the editor, he was appointed tutor in a private family which secured him the use of a good library and sufficient leisure to use it. In 1759 he settled in Augsburg, and in 1733 removed to Berlin, where he was given a small pension and finally made editor of the Prussian Astronomical Almanac. Lambert's most important work were one on optics, issued in 1759, which suggested to Arago the lines of investigation he subsequently pursued, a treatise on perspective published in 1759, to which in 1768 an appendix given practical applications was added, and a treatise on comets printed in 1761 containing the well-known expression for the area of a focal sector of a conic in terms of the chord and the bounding radii besides these he communicated numerous papers to the berlin academy of the most important are his memoir in 1768 on transcendental magnitudes in which he proved that pi is incommensurable the proof is given in Legendre's Geometrie and is there extended to pi squared. His paper on trigonometry, read in 1768, in which he developed de Moivre's theorems on the trigonometry of complex variables and introduced the hyperbolic sine and cosine denoted by the symbols sine hx, cos hx. His essay entitled The Analytical Observations, published in 1771, which is the earliest attempt to form the functional equations by expressing the given properties in the language of the differential calculus, and then integrating. Lastly, his paper on Vis Viva, published in 1783, in which for the first time he expressed Newton's second law of motion in the notation of the differential calculus. Of the other mathematicians above mentioned, I here add a few words. Etienne Bezou, born in Nemours on March 31, 1730, and died on September 27, 1783, besides numerous minor works, wrote a Théorie Générale des Équations Algébriques, published at Paris in 1779, which in particular contained much new and valuable matter on the theory of elimination and symmetrical functions of the roots of an equation. He used his determinants in a paper in the Histoire de l'Académie Royale, 1764, but did not treat of the general theory. Jean Tremblay, 
born at Geneva in 1749, and died at September 18, 1811, contributed to the development of differential equations, finite differences, and the calculus of probabilities. Louis-François d'Antoine Abragast, born at Alsace on October 4, 1759, and died at Strasbourg, where he was professor on April 8, 1803, wrote on series and the derivatives known by his name. He was the first writer to separate the symbols of operation from those of quantity. I do not wish to crowd my pages with an account of those who have not distinctly advanced the subject, but I have mentioned the above writers because their names are still well known. We may, however, say that the discoveries of Euler and Lagrange in the subjects which they treated were so complete and far-reaching that what their less gifted contemporaries added is not of sufficient importance to require mention in a book of this nature. Lagrange Joseph Louis Lagrange, the greatest mathematician of the 18th century, was born at Turin on January 25, 1736, and died at Paris on April 10, 1813. His father, who had the charge of the Sardinian military chest, was of good social position and wealthy, but before his son grew up he had lost most of his property in speculations, and young Lagrange had to rely for his position on his own abilities. He was educated at the College of Turin, but it was not until he was seventeen that he shewed any taste for mathematics, his interest in the subject being first excited by a memoir by Halley, across which he came by accident. Alone and unaided, he threw himself into mathematical studies, and at the end of a year's incessant toil he was already an accomplished mathematician, and was made a lecturer in the artillery school. The first of these labours was his letter, written when he was still only nineteen, to Euler, in which he solved the isoparametrical problem which for more than half a century had been the subject of discussion. To effect a solution in which he sought to determine the form of a function so that a formula in which it entered should satisfy a certain condition, he enunciated the principles of the calculus of variations. Euler recognized the generality of the method adopted and its superiority to that used by himself, and with rare courtesy he withheld a paper that he had previously written which covered some of the same ground in order that the young Italian might have time to complete his work and claim the undisputed invention of the new calculus. The name of this branch of analysis was suggested by Euler. This memoir at once placed Lagrange in the front rank of mathematicians then living. In 1758, Lagrange established with the aid of his pupils a society which was subsequently incorporated as the Turin Academy, and in the five volumes of its transactions usually known as the Miscellanea Turinensia, most of his early writings are to be found. Many of these are elaborate works. The first volume contains a memoir of the theory of the propagation of sound, and in this he indicates a mistake made by Newton, obtains a general differential equation for the motion, and integrates it for motion in a straight line. This volume also contains the complete solution of the problem of a string vibrating transversely. In this paper he points out a lack of generality in the solutions previously given by Taylor, D'Alembert, and Euler, 
and arrives at the conclusion that form of a curve at any time t is given by the equation y equals a sine mx sine nt. The article concludes with a masterly discussion of echoes, beats, and compound sounds. Other articles in this volume are on recurring series, probabilities, and the calculus of variations. The second volume, containing a long paper embodying the results of several memoirs in the first volume on the theory and notation of the calculus of variations, and he illustrates its use by deducing the principle of least action and also by solutions of various problems in dynamics. The third volume includes a solution of several dynamical problems by means of the calculus of variations, some papers on the integral calculus, a solution of Fermat's problem mentioned above, and on the general differential equations of motion for three bodies moving under their mutual attractions. In 1761 Lagrange stood without a rival as the foremost mathematician living but the unceasing labor of the preceding nine years had seriously affected his health, and the doctors refused to be responsible for his reason or life unless he would take rest and exercise. Although his health was temporarily restored, his nervous system never quite recovered its tone, and henceforth he constantly suffered from attacks of profound melancholy. The next work he produced was in 1764 on the libration of the moon, and an explanation as to why the same face was always turned to the earth, a problem which he treated by aid of virtual work. His solution is especially interesting as containing the germ of the idea of generalized equations of motion, equations which he first formally proved in 1780. He now started to go on a visit to London, but on the way fell ill at Paris. There he was received with the most marked honor, and it was with regret that he left the brilliant society of that city to return to his provincial life at Turin. His further stay in Piedmont was, however, short. In 1766 Euler left Berlin, and Frederick the Great immediately wrote expressing the wish of the greatest king in Europe to have the greatest mathematician in Europe resident in his court. Lagrange accepted the offer and spent the next twenty years at Prussia, where he produced not only the long series of memoirs published at the Berlin and Turin transactions, but his monumental work, Mécanique Analytique. His residence at Berlin commenced with an unfortunate mistake. Finding most of his colleagues married and assured by their wives that it was the only way to be happy, he married his wife soon died, but the union was not a happy one. Lagrange was a favorite of the king, who used frequently to discourse to him on the advantage of perfect regularity of life. The lesson went home, and thenceforth Lagrange studied his mind and body as though they were machines, and found by experiment the exact amount of work which he was able to do without breaking down. Every night he set himself a definite task for the next day, and on completing any branch of a subject he wrote a short analysis to see what points in the demonstrations or in the subject matter were capable of improvement. He always thought out the subject of his papers before he began to compose them, and usually wrote them straight off without a single erasure or correction. His mental activity during these twenty years was amazing. 
Not only did he produce his splendid Mécanique Analytique, but he contributed between one and two hundred papers to the academies of Berlin, Turin, and Paris. Some of these are complete treatises, and all without exception are of a high order of excellence, except for a short time when he was ill and produced on an average about one memoir a month. Of these I note the following as among the most important. First, his contributions to the fourth and fifth volumes, 1766 to 1773, of the Miscellanea Taurinensia, of which the most important was the one in 1771, in which he discussed how numerous astronomical observations should be combined so as to give the most probable result and later his contributions to the first two volumes seventeen eighty four to seventeen eighty five of the transactions of the turin academy to the first of which he contributed a paper on the pressure exerted by fluids in motion and to the second an article on integration by infinite series and the kind of problems for which it is suitable most of the memoirs sent to Paris were on astronomical questions, and among these I ought particularly to mention his memoir on the Jovian system in 1766, his essay on the problem of the three bodies in 1772, his work on the secular equation of the moon in 1773, and his treatise on cometary perturbations in 1778 these were all written on subjects proposed by the french academy and in each case the prize was awarded to him the greater number of his papers during the same time were however contributed to the berlin academy several of them deal with questions on algebra in particular i may mention one his discussion of the solution of indeterminate equations on integers in seventeen seventy with special notice of indeterminate quadratics in seventeen sixty nine two his tract on the theory of elimination seventeen seventy three his memoirs on the general process for solving an algebraical equations of any degree seventeen seventy and seventeen seventy one this method fails for equations of an order above the fourth because then it involves a solution of an equation of higher dimensions than the one proposed but it gives all the solutions of his predecessors as modifications of a single principle he found however the complete solution of a binomial equations of any degree and fourth lastly in seventeen seventy three he treated of determinants of the second and third order several of his early papers also deal with questions connected with the neglected but singularly fascinating subject of the theory of numbers among these are one his proof of the theorem that every integer which is not a square can be expressed as a sum of either two three or four integral squares seventeen seventy his proof of wilson's theorem that if n be prime then n minus one factorial plus one is always a multiple of n seventeen seventy one three his memoirs of seventeen seventy three seventeen seventy five and seventeen seventy seven which give the demonstrations of several results enunciated by fermat and not previously proved four and lastly his method for determining the factors of numbers of the form x squared plus a y squared 
There are also numerous articles on various points of analytical geometry. In two of them, in 1792 and 1793, he reduced the equations of the quadrics or conicoids to their canonical forms. During the years from 1772 to 1785, he contributed a long series of memoirs which created the science of differential equations, at any rate as far as partial differential equations are concerned. I do not think that any previous writer had done anything beyond considering equations of some particular form. A large part of these results were collected in the second edition of Euler's Integral Calculus, which was published in 1794. His papers on mechanics require no separate mention here, as the results arrived at are embodied in the Mécanique Analytique, which is described below. Lastly, there are numerous memoirs on problems in astronomy. Of these, the most important are the following. 1. The Attraction of Ellipsoids, 1773. This is founded on Maclaurin's work. 2. On the Secular Equation of the Moon, 1773. Also noticeable for the earliest introduction of the idea of the potential. The potential of a body at any point is the sum of the mass of every element of the body when divided by its distance from the point. Lagrange showed that if the potential of a body at an external point were known, the attraction in any direction could be at once found. The theory of the potential was elaborated in a paper sent to Berlin in 1777. 3 on the motion of the nodes of a planet's orbit, 1774. 4. On the stability of planetary orbits, 1776. 5. Two memoirs in which the method of determining the orbit of a comet from three observations is completely worked out, 1778 and 1783. This is not indeed proved practically available, but his system of calculating the perturbations by means of mechanical quadratures has formed the basis of most subsequent researches on the subject. 6. His determination of the secular and periodic variations of the elements of the planet, 1781 to 1784. The upper limits assigned for these agree closely with those obtained later by Le Verrier and he proceeded as far as the knowledge then possessed of the masses of the planets permitted. 7. Three memoirs on the method of interpolation, 1783, 1792, and 1793. The part of finite differences dealing therewith is now in the same stage as that in which Lagrange left it. Over and above these various papers, he composed his great treatise Mécanique Analytique, in this he lays down the law of virtual work, and from that one fundamental principle by the aid of the calculus of variations he deduces the whole of mechanics, both of solids and fluids. The object of the book is to shew that the subject is implicitly included in a single principle, and to give the general formulae from which any particular result can be obtained. The method of generalized coordinates by which he obtained this result is perhaps the most brilliant result of his analysis. Instead of following the motion of each individual part of a material system, 
as d'Alembert and Euler had done, he shewed that if we determine its configuration by a sufficient number of variables whose number is the same as that of the degrees of freedom possessed by the system, then the kinetic and potential energies of the system can be expressed in terms of these, and the differential equations of motions then deduced by simple differentiation. For example, in dynamics of a rigid system, he replaces the consideration of the particular problem by the general equation which is now usually written in the form of d by dt times the partial derivative of capital T with respect to theta minus the partial derivative of capital T with respect to theta plus the partial derivative of v with respect to theta equals zero. Amongst other minor theorems here given, I may mention the proposition that the kinetic energy imparted by given impulses to a material system under given constraints is a maximum, and the principle of least action. All the analysis is so elegant that Sir William Rowan Hamilton said the work could be only described as a scientific poem. It may be interesting to note that Lagrange remarked that the mechanics was really a branch of pure mathematics analogous to a geometry of four dimensions, namely the time and the three coordinates of the point in space, and it is said that he prided himself that from the beginning to the end of the work there was not a single diagram. At first no printer could be found who had published the book, but Legendre at last persuaded a Paris firm to undertake it and it was issued under his supervision in 1788. In 1787, Frederick died, and Lagrange, who had found the climate of Berlin trying, gladly accepted the offer of Louis XVI to migrate to Paris. He received similar invitations from Spain and Naples. In France he was received with every mark of distinction, and special apartments in the Louvre were prepared for his reception. For the first two years of his residence, here he was seized with an attack of melancholy, and even the printed copy of his mechanique on which he had worked for a quarter of a century lay for more than two years unopened on his desk. Curiosity as to the results of the French Revolution first stirred him out of his lethargy, a curiosity which soon turned to alarm as the revolution developed. It was about the same time, 1792, that the unaccountable sadness of his life and timidity moved the compassion of a young girl who insisted on marrying him and proved a devoted wife to whom he became warmly attached. Although the decree of October 1793, which ordered all foreigners to leave France, specially exempted him by name, he was preparing to escape when he was offered the presidency of the commission for the reform of weights and measures. The choice of the units finally selected was largely due to him, and it was mainly owing to his influence that the decimal subdivision was accepted by the commission of 1799. The general idea of the decimal system was taken from a work by Thomas Williams entitled Method for Fixing a Universal Standard for Weights and Measures, published in London in 1788. This almost unknown writer has hardly received the credit due to his suggestion. Though Lagrange had determined to escape from France while there was yet time, he was never in any danger. 
and the different revolutionary governments, and at a later time Napoleon, loaded him with honors and distinctions. A striking testimony to the respect in which he was held was shewn in 1796 when the French commissary in Italy ordered to attend in full state on Lagrange's father and tender the congratulations of the Republic on the achievements of his son, who had done honor to all mankind by his genius and whom it was the special glory of Piedmont to have produced. In 1795, Lagrange was appointed to a mathematical chair at the newly established École Normale, which only enjoyed a brief existence of four months. His lectures here were quite elementary, and contained nothing of any special importance, but they were published because the professors had to pledge themselves to the representatives of the people, and to each other, neither to read nor to repeat from memory and the discourses were ordered to be taken down in shorthand in order to enable the deputies to see how the professors acquitted themselves on the establishment of the ecole polytechnique in seventeen ninety seven lagrange was made a professor and his lectures there are described by mathematicians who had the good fortune to be able to attend them as almost perfect both in form and matter Beginning with the merest elements, he led his hearers on, until, almost unknown to themselves, they were themselves extending the bounds of the subject. Above all, he impressed on his pupils the advantage of always using general methods expressed in a symmetrical notation. His lectures on the differential calculus formed the basis of his Théorie des fonctions analytiques, which was published in 1797. This work is the extension of an idea contained in a paper he had sent to the Berlin Memoirs in 1772, and its object is to substitute for the differential calculus as a group of theorems based on the development of algebraic functions in series. A somewhat similar method had been previously used by John Landon in his residual analysis, published in London in 1758 lagrange believed that he could thus get rid of those difficulties connected with the use of infinitely large or infinitely small quantities which philosophers professed to see in the usual treatment of the differential calculus the book is divided into three parts of these the first treats of the general theory of functions and gives an algebraic proof of taylor's theorem the validity of which is however to open the question the second deals with applications to geometry and the third with applications to mechanics another treatise on the same lines was his leçons sur le calcul des fonctions issued in eighteen o four these works may be considered as the starting point for the researches of Cauchy and Jacobi. At a later period, Lagrange reverted to the use of infinitesimals in preference to the founding the differential calculus on a study of algebraic forms, and in the preface to the second edition of the Mécanique, which was issued in 1811, he justifies their use and concludes by saying that when we have grasped the spirit of the infinitesimal method and have verified the exactness of its results either by the geometrical method of prime and ultimate ratios or by the analytical method of derived functions, we may employ infinitely small quantities as a sure and valuable means of shortening and simplifying our proofs. His Résolution des équations numériques, published in 1798, was also the fruit of his lectures at the Polytechnic. 
In this he gives the method of approximating to the real roots of an equation by means of continued fractions, and enunciates several other theorems. In a note at the end he shews how Fermat's theorem that a to the power of p minus 1 minus 1 is defined as 0 mod p, where p is prime and a is prime to p, combined with a certain suggestion due to Gauss, may be applied to give the complete algebraical solution of any binomial equation. He also here explains how the equation whose roots are the squares of the differences of the roots of the original equation may be used so as to give considerable information so as to the position and nature of those roots. The theory of the planetary motions had formed the subject of some of the most remarkable of Lagrange's Berlin papers. In 1806 the subject was reopened by Poisson, who, in a paper read before the French Academy, shewed that Lagrange's formula led to certain limits for the stability of the orbits. Lagrange, who was present, now discussed the whole subject afresh, and in a memoir communicated to the Academy in 1808, explained how by the variation of arbitrary constants the periodical and secular inequalities of any system of mutually interacting bodies could be determined. In 1810, Lagrange commenced a thorough revision of the mécanique analytique, but he was able to complete only about two-thirds of it before his death. In appearance, he was of medium height and slightly formed, with pale blue eyes and a colorless complexion. In character, he was nervous and timid. He detested controversy, and to avoid it willingly, allowed others to take the credit for what he had himself done. Lagrange was above all a student of pure mathematics. He sought and obtained far-reaching abstract results and was content to leave the applications to others. Indeed, no considerable part of the discoveries of his great contemporary Laplace consists of the applications of, La of the Lagrangian formulae to the facts of nature. For example, Laplace's conclusions on the velocity of sound and the secular acceleration of the moon are implicitly involved in Lagrange's results. The only difficulty in understanding Lagrange is that of the subject matter and of the extreme generality of his processes, but his analysis is as lucid and luminous as it is symmetrical and ingenious. A recent writer speaking of Lagrange says truly that he took a prominent part in the advancement of almost every branch of pure mathematics. Like Diophantus and Fermat, he proposed a special genius for the theory of numbers, and in this subject he gave solutions of most of the problems which had been proposed by Fermat and added some theorems of his own. He created the calculus of variations. To him, too, the theory of differential equations is indebted for its position as a science rather than as a collection of ingenious artifices for the solution of particular problems. To the calculus of finite differences, he contributed the formula of interpolation which bears his name. But above all, he impressed a mechanics, which it will be remembered he considered a part of pure mathematics, that generality and completeness towards which his labors invariably tended. End of section 31. Recording by Paul King, Oakville, Ontario. pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj.